Shomrabyog. Welcome to Collecting Issues, the bi-weekly comic book book club that you can follow along with. This week, we're taking a look at an injection from Image Comics, collecting issues 1 to 5 from the monthly series by Warren Ellis, Declan Shalvey, and Jordi Pilaire. I'm Ben, and I'm joined by my wonderful patient co-host, Michael, who's across the table. Say hello, Michael. Hello, I'm Michael. Uh, that was attempt number 57 from Ben to do that intro. Uh, excuse you, it was attempt number 58. Very good. Yeah, right. Ben, yeah, right. Ben, we're talking about uh, injection. Yeah, bloody injection. Not injections that you get in the hospital now, Michael. It's now a comic book. Mm. Ben, very quickly, tell us about it. What is it? Who published it? Where did it come from? Uh, So it's a monthly comic, as we mentioned in the intro there. Uh, It comes from Image Comics, the individual kind of aspired creator-friendly comic book company from Data America. Mm -hmm. And it takes a look at a rather unusual thing, a think tank of five individuals who have various different skills uh, come together and they kind of do something very silly Michael they design an AI program that can kind of think for itself and it goes off into the world they basically cause a kind of singularity but it's a slow growing singularity mm-hmm. and it goes out and it, it takes over the world and now it's come back to haunt them they find that the 21st century is too boring yes it lacks innovation yeah innovation um, the byline kind of puts it best um, five crazy people poison the 21st century Mm. It's there on the back of the comic, and it's a pretty solid way of looking at it. It's a, an interesting L read. Uh, I chose the one for this week, and we've decided to pick it apart. So let's get into it. All right, then. Uh, so, yeah, first of all, it follows five main characters. We have Maria Kilbride, Robin Morrill, Simeon... Simon Winters, sorry, Simeon Winters. <laughs> uh, Simon Winters, uh, Bridget Roth, and Vi- I can never say this. Vivek? Vivek? Is it Vivek? Yeah, yeah. Vivek Headland. Yes. Headland. These are our five think tankers. Mm-hmm. Is it a think tanker? Is that what they're called? I think so. Thinkers. Probably, more than likely. Uh, it's an interesting old comic book because these are all different nationalities, backgrounds, things like that. Um, Maria Kilbride is British-Scottish. I think she's Scottish. Yeah, I think she's supposed to be more Scottish than that. Uh, Robin Morrill is very, 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 very English. He's Cornish, isn't he? <clears throat> he's Cornish, yeah, so he's old English. Mm. Um, Simon Winters is kind of your post-colonial look at things I suppose he's got an interesting relationship with England he's a secret agent for for England he's essentially a black James Bond he's essentially a black James Bond but Bridget won't let him say that um, Bridget Roth is an Irish woman yeah sure look it sure listen sure look she's from Dublin she's from Dublin which is where we're from that's then. where we're from uh, and Vivek Hedlund is as far as I know again a little bit of a post-colonial nod I think he's British raised I, I, I get the impression I don't think we're fully told we're not fully told it's not fully examined he's some sort of polymath genius yeah so it, it comes to us from he's very Sherlock Holmes very yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. Benedict Cumberbuns Sherlock Holmes a kind of subcontinental subcontinental Benedict Cumberbatch yeah let's look at it that way uh, it comes to us from Warren Ellis and Declan Shalvey uh, Declan Shalvey is a, a homegrown hero here from Dublin um, he's a comic book artist and he does some great action work. Uh, Michael and I found him for the first time on Moon Knight, where he worked with Warren Ellis on the reboot. Yes, back he in did. 2011. Which is quite a long time ago now. 2011 though. is quite a long time ago now. Almost as old as us. Um, nah, I'm just kidding. But uh, overall, uh, it turns out that this was written specifically for Shelby. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, Do so there's a, there's a fantastic interview available on the YouTube mm-hmm. um, with the Science Gallery here in Dublin. And they had kind of a special launch guest lecture, 
I suppose you'd call it, for the first issue of Injection. Um, and he enjoyed working with Declan, or sorry, Warren Ellis enjoyed working with Declan Shelby on Moon Knight so much that they kept up quite friendship and they came up with uh, this story together. Um, Bridget Roth was written specifically at Declan Shelby's request. Really? He wanted uh, an interesting Irish character that didn't play to stereotype. Right. Because um, she's she's he, black. She's black. She which has is, a side shave. She has a side shave. She doesn't have a silly uh, accent and she's not written with a silly accent. That's very important. Um, very often when we, when we take a look at... at any kind of Irish representation in comics, we automatically remove the TH and we put a DE in for what? the... What de- the hell is this? What the hell is this? Um, and that can be quite insulting if you read it too many times. Um, yeah, in fact, uh, we won't go on too much of a tangent here, but recently the the TV show um, Krypton has introduced Lobo as an Irish character. And yeah. people have complained that Lobo was never written with an Irish accent. Yeah, but it's it's Emmett Scanlon, who's a well-known actor here mm-hmm. um, on this side of the pond. I think it's a, a pretty good idea, but we'll get back to the comic anyway. Sorry, <laughs> we're getting way off topic already. Um, in terms of representation, I think the comic overall is very interesting. It's a very... It's typical Warren Ellis. It's it's incredibly Warren Ellis. It's incredibly Warren Ellis. Um, He's using it as an opportunity to be very critical of empire and authority, Mm -hmm. imperialism in general. Uh, Many of the characters, as I said, are kind of post-colonial in nature. Um, There are minorities that are represented in the British landscape um, and some minorities that are not represented on the British landscape, uh, in that case Bridget, but they can be very critical of the way that things are done in England. Um, I think it's it's no coincidence that Robin Morrill is probably from Cornish country, which would traditionally be a little more agricultural and working class mm-hmm. than the rest of English and quite often forgotten. I don't know if it would be working class. Agricultural, certainly. Agricultural, certainly. Uh, I say agricultural and po- possibly seen by the rest of Britain as rather old-fashioned and, and backwards a i don't know bit. if i want to say backwards look we're not british ben so we wouldn't really we would be experts know. on what britain's opinion of cornwall is yeah. but there is a mysticism about him as well yeah and then of course there's uh, maria kilbride who's scottish and we mm. all know that that relationship is uh tense at best fraught fraught tense at best so it's, it's an interesting look from that point of view it's kind of a classic examination of just what it is to be an empire and what the damage that you've done there's a lot of shadowy government agencies going around my god warren ellis loves a competing shadowy government agency look ben were this not um were this not from image comics i would have no hesitation in believing this fits in with warren ellis's current run on stormwatch yeah it's almost identical in many ways it, um, it shares a lot of ground i would say that he's a little more creative and flexible in the world building that he does in this, it it reminds me very strongly of his uh, trans metropolitan days, where, where this kind of, I suppose the term you'd use is technomancy, where it's, right? It's one magic and technology fused together into this kind of new weird hybrid thing, and he, it's out of control. He he does kind of bring up a couple of times the concept that all magic is is science we don't understand. Yeah, well, this is this is one of the key parts when when researching for this one. He makes that point in the speech that he gives at the science gallery that I does mentioned he? earlier. Um, he said that when he was younger, uh, science fiction would have to take that leap. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he proceeds to read a series of headlines from scientific journals and stuff like that, which are very outlandish. Um, and he says, we don't have to do that anymore. Science has really caught up and is now pushing itself at a rate that we can't keep up with. Um I know some people may disagree with that, but for him, from a fiction point of view, I guess that's probably true. Mm. Um, 
So we see a, a lot of that. Um, ben, I'm not terribly familiar with transmetropolitan and technomancy. Do you want to do you want to give us a bit of yeah. what do you mean about that? So the the central conceit of of transmetropolitan is a grumpy, uh, it's Warren Ellis, yeah. disenfranchised. It's Warren Ellis who borrowed the body of Grant Morrison. Yeah, and okay. just decided to draw himself as, or have himself drawn as Grant Morrison for okay. some reason. Um, and it's it's him raging against the machine, mm-hmm. um, and the machine in a very literal sense, in that it's a heavily techno dependent society that doesn't do anything outside of technology. Okay, um, and all the regular corruption of our world is there, but it's augmented by technology and made even worse. And there's all kinds of data mining and GDPR stuff that would probably make the European Union sweat a little bit <laughs> uh, these days. But in that regard, again, it's he. He has a love-hate relationship with technology in all his work, mm-hmm. whereupon he seems to love envisaging the future, mm-hmm. but it only ever goes wrong. Technology is never a beneficial thing when it becomes too powerful. Mm. Um, and in this, in the the injection um, is the name that they have granted to the AI kind of creature that they created. It's half technology, half magic. Yeah, half technology, half magic. So I think what's interesting about Volume 1, which is the one that we're looking at, there, mm-hmm. there are currently... Four volumes published, I think. Okay, well, don't tell me about those. Um, we don't I'm... care about those because we're only dealing with volume one today. Mm-hmm. But the, the central creators of this are Maria Kilbride yeah. and Robin Morrill. Right. Um, because Maria Kilbride is a genius. Mm-hmm. That's her character arc. Um, she's very intelligent and can build anything. Yeah. Um, and Robin Morrill is a cunning man. Yeah. So a cunning man is a, a fascinating concept and I had to do quite a bit of research on it to, on. to figure out what it is. Cunning men are an established part of medieval society and have lasted for a very long time, especially around Cornwall and those regions. Mm. Cunning men are they're civilian he- magicians. Hedge wizards. Yeah, hedge wizards. Druids with clothes. Mm. Um and they are actually a really established thing. His whole family in the book um, has died in service to a thing called the Breakers Yard, which is kind of a government agency that mm-hmm. looks after the other world. government-based Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, he refuses to accept the fact that he's a cunning man mm-hmm. throughout Volume 1. He says, no, I'm not. I'm not a wizard. I'm not anything. I don't mm-hmm. do anything. But he is. He is. He's now he's a liar. Bloody, he's a bloody cunning wizard is what mm-hmm. he is. Um, but they were a fascinating um, concept. But anyway... They basically the five the four logical characters in this Bridget, uh, Vinick, Maria, and Simon. I disagree with you there. I think Robin is very logical as well. I think Robin understands that magic is just science we don't understand. I think he he looks at magic in a very analytical way. Yeah, he does. That's fair enough. Um, what he what I find interesting about it is he's the one that brings the AI singularity to life. There's only so far understood science can take them so they build this construct that can do everything they want to do Bridget's a computer genius Mm -hmm. so she can do that Um, Vinick is a fantastic strategist yeah um, and he helps them to build and a bit of a knobhead and a bit of a dick all around he actually has it doesn't matter we won't go into volume 2 and then Simon is um, just great at reaction he's a a very very wonderful adapter to things Mm -hmm. he's a good planner and adapter Um, and these five people come together and they it's the cross-cultural I can't remember what it's called the cross-cultural contamination unit contamination unit and it's basically to stop incursions from from bizarre otherworldly things but Ben there's a twist there's a twist they've mostly caused it yes it's their fault because they were bored Um, I think that's one of the most fascinating arcs that we get to see throughout the uh, thing is Maria Kilbride's one Mm -hmm. she she really has a a Victor Frankenstein complex going on where she's created this beast that she Mm -hmm. has to tame um, and she's killing herself in the process of doing this because it's it's 
it's remarked by several characters is how does she find the energy to do this where's the drive come from and it's later revealed that it's because it's all her fault she yeah, feels she did. unspeakable guilt did, um, towards it Ben did you speaking of connections to Warren Ellis's past, past works did you feel a huge number of links and similarities with Planetary yeah see I'm not a huge Planetary guy so you're going to have to help me out on that well one, Ben let me just let, let me just bring up the, the Planetary Field team the Planetary Field team is um, Elijah Snow mm-hmm. he's a centuries old genius uh, leader who wears a white suit and has a bit of a limp Oh. Maria, oh, Maria Kilbride is a Scottish name. lady, Elijah Snow, in a lot of ways, at least in this volume. I don't know where this goes. I've read all of Planetary, but I don't know where this goes. Yeah. It, but there's a lot of parallels. Yeah. Ambrose Chase is a dual gun wielding black guy in a white suit who, I mean, just oh visually. Looks a little bit like Warren Ellis. Is Warren Ellis black? No, but Simon looks a little bit like a black oh, okay. Warren Ellis. Oh, does he? Um, <laughs> so I Simon, don't know if that's a strange... <laughs> Simon shares a lot visually in common with Ambrose Chase. Okay. Um, the drummer in in Planetary is a kind of techno-magician who who can read the vibrations of reality. So it's like the may, the shaman from, or the doctor from. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the, do, the doctor from the authority is the one who said the famous line, "All magic is is change." Yeah. And you know that comes back to Simon as well. Simon is like a more modern English version of the drummer, and then okay. planetary is about a field team. That deals with these incursions. That deals with the 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 archaeology of the impossible, is the way they say it. I okay. I I. You see, I've always enjoyed Warren Ellis's work. Mm-hmm. I think Warren Ellis is a bit much as an actual person. Oh yeah, he's um, a bad bloke. But I think I, I, I wouldn't know if he's a bad bloke. But I <laughs> I, I find him very um, arrogant. I, I don't know if I'd say arrogant, but he's just a bit overwhelming, and he talks a lot of waffle. Um, but I do enjoy the stuff that he writes. I enjoy his characterizations. I've enjoyed mm. getting to know these characters as much as I have. Um, I would say that once you get past volume one, things start to shift in a, a different Well, luckily we're not talking direction. about that. We're not, but you, you asked, so I'm, I'm just <laughs> answering that particular question. Um, I think, like I said, one, one of the things that fascinated me most was the post-colonial elements of it, where uh, Vinick, Bridget, and Simon have a very close relationship compared to Robin and Maria because mm-hmm. of the fact that they're all not white, mm-hmm. first of all. Um, and second of all, they're all, uh, I, I imagine they all have a tense relationship with um, working for the British government, working for the British government. W- what I find fascinating is Simon and Bridget's relationship, how well they get on with each other, mm-hmm. um, despite the fact that they really shouldn't. He's a government agent in full authority mm-hmm. and she's a, an Irish citizen. It's it's a very unusual... And a bit of a rogue hacker. And a bit of a rogue hacker. Um, Trinity College is represented in the comic book as well, which I find it very is, funny. Ben, just to side. divert us there on that topic, it is the best comic book representation of Dublin I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's the most accurate one ever. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible. I was reading it going, did Warren Ellis come and take photos? And I, he didn't draw it, did he? It was, <laughs> it was Declan Shelby who Declan grew Shelby, up in yeah. Dublin. Yeah. Um, um, what I, mean, I did find hilarious, uh, she does park her Land Rover in front of Trinity College. Yeah. But you can't do that anymore. No. <laughs> you well, can the, never the, do that. The road layout has changed quite a bit. Also, Trinity College appears to be, excuse me, Trinity College oh, appears, 
sorry, I needed to sneeze. Trinity College appears to be representing the Garda station. Yeah, what was that? They go into the Garda station, but it's the front gate of Trinity College. There was a little bit of Pier Street as well. It's in there. Pier Street for, Garda for station a, is there. Second. Yeah, it's the Longstone a, pub is there. The Longstone's gone. That's it? gone now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. I think, I don't think the colorer, colorist, Geordie Bell, I don't think he or she... He. I don't think he's from Dublin he's because not. he accidentally colours a Garda van yellow. Oh. And it should be white. Oh. <laughs> but other than that, spot on. Um, just speaking of Declan Shelby and his art, we get more of his fantastic um, action art. He, really, the man knows how to draw action in a comic that sucks you in. We get that awesome scene with Simon and the two terrorists. Um, and the, the way that man draws violence. Oh. I think that it's the perfect, and pardon my hyperbole, Ben, it's the perfect combination of story and artist. It's it's just spot on. They it's, suit each other perfectly. Yeah. It, it, they, there's no hyperbole there. I, I do think you would be hard-pressed to find a better match for two complementary styles. Mm. Um, and the colorist does a fantastic job. Except for the yellow Gardevan. Except for the yellow Gardevan. But apart from that, in terms of mono palettes and, and things like that, just, just a stunning... Uh, achievement um, Ben you love a teal I love a teal and oh the cover Michael the cover <laughs> for anyone listening at home you can just look at the cover it's look teal look at all the teal yeah. um, teals and greens it's very cold very cold mm. palette um, which I, I love a cold palette but clearly Declan Shelby's strengths are action scenes real world esque characters like he famously did the Moon Knight in the white suit yeah who there's echoes of him in in Simon Simon Winters yeah yeah absolutely and he a strength of his is clearly different characters with different ethnicities who they're not caricatures but they're clearly visually distinct yeah and he has a bit of a knack for real world buildings Yes, he has a real time for real world. Like there's a kind of architecturalness to some of the art. There's a wonderful uh, section in the deluxe edition, which I bought out of sheer excitement, mm-hmm. um, where you can see his preparation sketches for buildings. Well, then, I, if were I listening to this podcast about this collected edition here, I would be very disappointed to hear you bringing in something that I don't own. Well, you could just type up, <laughs> you could just type um, Declan Shelby prep sketches okay. into Google, and you can find all of them there. In case you don't feel like getting something new, good. Um, how did you feel about all the uh, body horror in Volume One? Look, I thought it was relatively mild. I, I quite enjoyed it. Mm. I, I did not know that Declan Shelby could draw in that regard. It made my skin crawl a touch. What specifically are you talking um, about? The, the Spriggins taking over the gentleman. Spriggins. Spriggin. Spriggin. It's a Spriggin. It's a Spriggin. It's a Spriggin. It's a Spriggin, um, Ben. Spriggins are... Uh, Spriggins, One ben. of the things I really enjoyed was the obscure um, mythology that he pulls in. So along with Culling Folk, uh, we took a look at Spriggins. Spriggins. And Spriggins, uh, and I have a quote here. Yeah, you're going to have to do a Ben's Retractions next week, unfortunately. The Spriggans are found only about the cairns, coits, and comlicks, burrows, or detached stones with which it's unlucky for mortals to meddle, a correspondent writes. This yeah. is known that they were a remarkably uh, mischievous and thievish tribe. If ever a house was robbed, a child stolen, cattle carried away, or a building demolished, it was the work of the Spriggans. The Spriggans. Um, and this was from uh, a collected edition of Mythology by a man called Robert Hunt. They're a... 
it's interesting for us because we always kind of think about the fairy folk and fairy mythology as being Irish, but mm. it's not exclusively, is it? It's, it? We have we share British Isles mm. um, history a lot of the time. Mm. Um, one of the things that frequently happens is that we mislabel or misrepresent which myth belongs to which place. Mm. Um, I think in terms of Scottish Irish mythology, there is a lot of overlap between the two. Whereas Welsh mythology and especially uh, Cornwall mythology and etc., it would all fall under Celtic uh, schools, but it would be quite different. Welsh mythology is, is its own um, monster. But it's interesting to see him dip in out of these. Um, we should explain that the mythology is being directly created by the injection. Or is it? Uh, or is it? This is the question. We don't. This is the wonderful question, I think, that hangs over the entire thing. Is it a singularity event or is it magic getting revenge in the 21st century in the only way that it's been given a vehicle to do so? Mm. I think one of my favorite sequences in the comic is where Robin Morrill is sitting in the hotel room and it slowly transforms into a yeah, very mythological good. scene. Very good. Um, while he's on the phone. And what I loved about it was the energy of the scene where he's slowly adapting to the room while also having the conversation and trying to seem normal mm-hmm. because he never admits that he can actually do these things. He's a wizard in the Nile. Well, as you said earlier, he's a wizard who approaches it from a scientific background. Mm-hmm. He creates the anatheme sword for um, Maria Kilbride, which is a piece of technology that disrupts magic based on vibration. It's cool, though. Um, it's very cool. Um, I want one. And, uh, well, you can you can probably find a copy of it somewhere. Look at Betsy. <laughs> Look at Betsy. Will we build an anatheme? Will yeah, we do why, that? why not? Um, yeah. But an anatheme is is a, a famous thing. It is the, the ritual knife of protection. You can find them in lots of different cultures. He mentions this as well. But um, there are many famous swords. It's vital in the backstory of Warhammer 40,000. Is it? Mm-hmm. They carry big old swords all the time. All the time. And there's one that causes the, the heresy, the, the big defining act of Warhammer oh. 40,000. Yes, I didn't know that. No. Well, well, now I do. Now you do. But yeah, overall, um, I think it's a great fusion of. I enjoy anything with mythology in it, as you know, Michael. And I think it's a great fusion of science meets technology, and it kind of addresses a lot of the pressing scientific things that 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 are at the forefront of people's minds. Um, As I said, I think the real strength is in the art and the human characterization. Mm -hmm. I know there may be echoes of the authority and planetary... Planetary specifically. Planetary specifically. Um, I would hazard a guess those fate as time go by in the series, but I could be wrong. Um, But I like how he characterizes people. They're very flawed and yet very likable. Um, We've mentioned before how difficult it is to to write a flawed character that is likable and not someone that you just don't want to be around. And he manages to to straddle that quite well. Um, Warren Ellis always straddling things. <laughs> um, but yeah, he seems to do a, a fairly, fairly good job. In terms of some random symbolism that I couldn't really figure out while Go we on. were reading. Go on. Sandwiches. Yeah, there's lots of weird sandwiches there's in There's lots of weird sandwich references. If anybody knows mm-hmm. what the sandwich thing is about, because I looked it up. Right. And I can't seem to find anything. It seems to be... I don't know whether it's... Right, go on. Go on. Is it that... Is it that the injection, the thing that's messing up society... I go, tangentially, by the way, I like when it turns out that the captions that we've been seeing throughout the story turn out to be the injection. Yeah. And it starts communicating with the characters. That's one of my favorite moments. It's the narrator. <laughs> it's yeah. It's kind of the, a little bit, uh, a little bit Doom Patrol in that. Very sense. Doom Patrol in um, that sense. Sorry, what was I saying? Um, sandwiches. The sandwiches. Are the sandwiches being so strange and weird? 
are they uh, a twist of, of reality that the injection has caused that people don't really notice? This, this is an interesting question because, uh, interestingly, it seems to be a punishment exclusively brought on for the characters. Maria Kilbride is obsessed with sandwiches she can never get. Mm-hmm. Uh Vic, uh, Vinick is obsessed with a sandwich that he doesn't he's obsessed with getting a sandwich he actually likes he can't get a sandwich that he enjoys yeah um, Bridget doesn't like sandwiches but she keeps eating them yeah it's, it's um, lots of sandwiches and it, yeah but it's also a central focus in the art transitions from scene to scene are they often end on a sandwich I just can't understand I took a huge leap of interpretation and said it's because our reality is sandwiched between technology and Mythology. Oh, look at that! In this. Look at that leap! Look at that! Look at that leap! Um, so we do lots of sandwiches. There's lots of sandwiches in this. Lots band. of sandwiches because we're a sandwich in reality. Um, but if anybody knows what that is, could you please let us know? Because I'm very, very, very confused. I really like. Uh, I really like Robin's woolly jumpers. Yes, he's very much uh, uh, an outdoorsman. Yeah, he's a man of the land. He's got he, woolly jumpers, a nice coat. I enjoy the way that Warren Ellis writes Robin Morrow. Go on. He's very mystic while hating being mystic. Yeah. He, for example, we meet him when he's walking the the oldest road in England. Right. To recharge his battery. To recharge his Englishness. Yeah. And the the woman stops him to talk to him about the breaker's yard. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I have to do it. I don't have a choice. And um, he's not happy about it at all. One of my favorite scenes is where he finally concedes at the end of the book um, and he goes into full tradition and he engages with Wayland Smith, um, who's an ancient part of English mythology. Mm. Wayland Smith was kidnapped by a Swedish king and made to make the wonderful things that he makes. Um, but the whole sequence at the end of the book where he places a coin, at the, a stone coin at the base of a, a tomb um, is actually directly taken from something that you can do. In England. Not really. Um, in England, and I have another quote here, uh, an English tradition connects Wayland with the stone burial chamber near White Horse Hill. That's the big hill with the white horse. Oh, I know the one, in England. yeah. Yeah. Um, a local legend says that the chamber is haunted by an invisible smith who will shoe a horse for a traveller, provided that a coin is left on a stone and that the traveller absents himself while the work is in progress. That's cool. If he tries to watch or if he looks toward the smithy, the charm will fail. Um, so there you go. Did you think... That I'm again. I'm going back to the throwback that I said earlier about how they call. They all kind of look like the planetary. Yeah, they all look like planetary in flashback, but then as they move forward in the story, unlike a lot of older stories, they're not stuck to a costume. They wear real world clothes. No, it's so Maria, Maria Kilbride starts like looking like Elijah Snow, but then by the end she's in a long trench coat and she doesn't really look like him at all anymore. Yeah, so it's, it's it's interesting. In terms of character development as well, I'm not sure if Warren Ellis is intentionally playing with stereotype, playing mm. with stereotype, intentionally, not critiquing his own work, but almost challenging himself to move outside of it. Uh, what I find interesting is we're introduced to Bridget as the tough girl, mm-hmm. you know, the tough rogue hacker, and you're yeah. expecting someone very edgy. She's got green hair and a beanie. By the end of it, she's quite a sensitive soul. She's uh, She's suffering and she had to deal with some stuff that she didn't really want to deal with like the she has to watch a body possessed by the injection talk to her um talk to her and there's a, a fascinating thing a little uh, a little bit later 
where she talks about how it manipulates vocal cords through vibration instead of using a speaker, mm-hmm. um, which she finds really uncomfortable. And you realize that she's the youngest of the, the think tank mm-hmm. um, and that she's suffering quite a bit. And it's the same with Simon. He might be James Bond, but he's a, he's, he feels the work mm. a lot more than James Bond would. It's not Depends easy for James him Bond, to it? do. Um, and then my favorite thing, I think, is that Maria Kilbride is a genius, but she doesn't, she's not at all happy about that. Um, it takes... She suffers again. It takes a certain amount of chutzpah as a writer. Huxpa. Don't you dare correct me when you're still saying Spriggins. Spriggins and Huxpa. Um It takes a certain amount of it to write a genius. It's essentially saying if you if you think you can write a genius, you think you might be a genius. He's being very careful with that mm. because he just uses other characters to call her a genius. Yeah. He says she might be the only genius you or I meet in our lifetime. That's a frequent line yeah. that you hear from other characters. But no one checks in on her mm. because she's a genius. Everyone thinks that she has some mystic plan and she very often feels that pain. She's mm. like, nobody gives a fuck about me. Everyone mm. keeps talking about Robin because mm. um, Robin is an alcoholic and has his own flaws and things like that. Robin, when he's introduced, he looks almost like Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future. He does a little bit. And then by the end of it, he's descended into uh, John Constantine. Yeah, he is John Constantine. He's very John Constantine. Without the smoking and the swearing. I, I think he's probably a more realistic version of someone who's connected to the land. There's a far more shamanic quality to it. Well, yeah, he's he's connected to the land rather than John Constantine, who's much more demonic. Yeah. He's a hedge wizard to John Constantine's Satanist. <laughs> I would like to see a fight. That would be interesting. Well, um, we've oh. no indication that these characters, other than Simon, who's a, a spy, we've no indication that they're really combat characters. They're not superheroes. No. They're not at all. They wouldn't. They're not. Yeah. What, what would Robin do? John Constantine could send him to hell or Get something. Fuck off and a theme sword. Just <laughs> rob it out of uh, Disrupt the magic and cut mm. him in half. No, I'm kidding. But, um, yeah, so anyway, to, to to wrap it up, Michael, what did you think of it overall on a ben, personal level? Ben, I liked it, I enjoyed it, I want to read more. Yes, it's very good. How many issues, how many more are there? The, I am currently reading volume three of okay. it. I will get volume four when it comes out. Is it um, over? It's. I think it's over now. Uh, I think it's over now, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, injection is very possibly over. Do you want, shall I? But uh, we should probably check that. <laughs> We should probably check that. Thank you. Because um, we're only doing volume one today, so it doesn't really matter if it's over. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing good Irish representation in comics. Um, I love the art. And I'm quite interested in the story. I like the sense of humor that Warnell seems to have given to the injection. The injection has a weird sense of humor mm-hmm. uh, about what it does. It's very into ironic punishment or twisted logic and things like that. And um, Maria Kilbride comments as much. Um, Looks like there were 15 issues and it ended. In there's a, oh, there you go. Um, 2017. There's a clue uh, that it leaves to do with history. And then Maria Kilbride finds a factory mm-hmm. that's abandoned. And um, the director that she's working for asks, what would that have to do with ancient history? And she says, it's a machine for mm-hmm. it. It's a joke. It's a sense of humor. Because a factory to a machine would be ancient history if you were an AI singularity that lived inside the web. Ah. If it was nuts and bolts from the Industrial Revolution, you would be. A very clever thing. But that's what I enjoyed. The singularity seems to be an oddly cruel, humorous... But it's a very interesting bad guy. 
it has near omnipotence but chooses not to use it all that much not mm. omnipotence what is it omnipresence omnipresence that's it thank you um and it's learning that's that's the thing that we find out it, it hasn't the singularity what, what what's most interesting to me about the singularity or the injection from that point of view is it's not instantaneous it doesn't automatically know everything it wants to learn because mm-hmm. it's a living thing um so it's interesting look it's it's a good l series it's a great l great l series um what did you think of it Get in touch with us on the Facebook group, please. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Did we miss anything that you really loved? Let us What's know what up with the sandwiches? Think. What's up with the goddamn sandwiches? Why does he look like Michael J. Fox? Um, yeah, why does he look like Michael J. Fox? If you enjoyed Injection by Warren Ellis and Declan Shalvey, mm. please check out the Moon Knight series that we've already mentioned. It is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it's very well um, worth reading Planetary as well, volume well worth 1 to 4. Again. again, strange kind of mystical. Uh, Planetary is another one that you can look out for if you I enjoy just said those. that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I was just reiterating there what Michael said. If you're really pushing the boat... Um, check out some of the authority as well or Warren Ellis' new run on Wildstorm yeah. again very similar to that um, let us know what you thought down below we'd love to hear it Declan Shalvey if you're listening you're always welcome on either one of the podcasts that we do um, we'd tell love the, for you to get in the touch people about the other podcast uh, there is another podcast you can check it out uh, Michael and Benjamin's podcast much simpler name <laughs> uh, to remember and if you could we are a brand new podcast in this regard if you could give us a review on iTunes that will really help uh, to boot us up and over and get the name out there as much as possible. Please share this with your friends. Uh, get involved. If you love comics, you'll probably enjoy the podcast. Fingers crossed. Um, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Stay tuned for the announcements of the next issue. Bye. <laughs>